We're going to talk about about praising God uh, up front, and then we're going to kind of move into a time of praise as we put the worship singing portion at the end. Uh, but with all the things that happened this week um, out in Connecticut, you, you do start to get a sense that perhaps uh, it's, it's inappropriate to have Christmas at this time. You know, it, it, Christmas is this happy time, and we're supposed to celebrate in, in all of those sorts of things. And and in the midst of all of this this difficulty and this tragedy and just 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 it's, it's horrifying, um, you know how do you how do you put that together? It's it's almost like you know why don't we give it why don't we give it a break this year and we'll we'll pick it up again next year. You know we'll we'll try again next year. Maybe next year would be better. Maybe next year would be somehow more fitting to celebrate. Um, and yet I think the reason we feel that way is because we've really forgotten that Christmas uh, is for those who are in crisis. It it really is. Christmas is for those who mourn. If you look at Matthew chapter 2, there's a a forgotten Christmas story. We don't tell this Christmas story. It's Jesus is born. We know that. In Luke, the shepherds come. Then the wise men show up. They have to ask Herod where he's at. Herod says, hey, listen, why don't you tell me where he's at and when you find him, tell me so that way I could go and worship him also. And his whole intention and purpose is to destroy the Christ child. The Magi are warned about this and they return a different way, the text tells us. And then Herod, once he realizes he's been tricked, he goes and institutes a, a massacre of his own in Bethlehem. And we don't tell that story a lot. But the text tells us in Matthew uh, that this was done to fulfill uh, some prophecy. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, we find that prophecy that Matthew quotes. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, I think, is an appropriate scripture to reflect on here. It says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are... No more. Jeremiah is writing this originally as a descriptive piece to the nation of Israel who finds itself in captivity. You've had an entire nation of people whose sons and daughters have been kidnapped and deported. These children are as good as dead to their parents. They're as good as dead to their parents as were the baby boys massacred in Bethlehem and the children at the Sandy Hook Elementary School. And it says, a voice is heard, bitter weeping. God is really saying, this is the state in which you find yourself in your lostness, in your brokenness. There is hope here. Verse 16 continues. It says, thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your works, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. You see, it's right here at this point of brokenness that God meets His people. And He says, listen, I'm going to work about redemption. I'm going to work about restoration. I'm going to return your children to you. And if God could say this at a time when these children had been in exile, how much more can He say that to us now when Christ has defeated death and conquered sin and made the grave no longer a final resting place? Verse 17 continues, it says, There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. 
God is saying, listen, mourn, but realize that I have come to deliver. I have come to save. Jeremiah continues on there in verse 21. He says, set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel, return to these your cities. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encompasses a man. That's kind of a weird phrase. We don't use that. We're not even entirely sure what that means in the Hebrew, other than we know that that word for man in that that verse is not the normal word for man. It, It is sort of man as everything that woman is not. Uh, the ancients really had this idea that the woman was the deficient male. Uh, that's, that's really sort of their idea. The woman was sort of sub-man. And so this word is the superman. He is the man that is extra strong, the man that is capable of saving, the man that is capable of bringing deliverance and protecting and providing and doing all of these kinds of things. That's the man. And where do we find him? But inside of a woman. This is not how you would plan it. I I, I see no other way to read this but as it being a prophetic word of Christ's birth. And he says, listen, I'm doing something new. I'm doing something new. I'm setting up a way to, to bring you back to me to give you hope. Jeremiah finds this comforting. In verse 25, he continues with God's words. He says, I will satisfy the weary and all who are faint, I will replenish. And then he inserts verse 26. After he's contemplated all of this, he says, Thereupon I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. Church, Christ came at Christmas for those in crisis. And even though he escaped the massacre of the infants at Bethlehem, let us not think that God got off easy. God did not spare his son in Bethlehem in order to save him so that he would have a healthy, long, and productive life. He saved his son so that way he would die another day. To bring life to us. If anybody knows what it's like to suffer the loss of a child, it is our Heavenly Father. God knows so well what it means to suffer that loss. And this morning as we think about that, let us pray that that God would be with those who are mourning. And that they would find His comfort uh, at this, their time of need. I want us to take a few moments of silence to pray, Um, and then in a minute or two, I'll come back and lead us in a responsive prayer. Church, let us continue in prayer. And I'd invite you to stand as we read this responsive prayer together.
I will read the italicized portions, and you can read the bold portions. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. Amen. You may be seated. Because God has sent Christ at Christmas, it is fitting that we praise Him in all circumstances. This is why we can live in obedience to Paul's command in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. He says again, rejoice. Let me tell you this morning, we're going to praise God. And there's something about praise. Praise leads to more praise. It's true. Whether you are ranting and raving about the latest and greatest something you have found, it leads other people to praise. But, you know, whatever latest and greatest you found is going to be replaced by something that is later and greater. And that's not going to last. But there is a praise that lasts, and that is the praise to God. It it is contagious, and it is incredibly fitting that we would proclaim God Praise simply means to say something good about something. And so it's, it's fitting this morning that we would praise God in the midst of brokenness because it's in God that we do have hope and it's in God that we find hope. You know, there's brokenness that surrounds us. You know, brokenness is obviously in Connecticut. We can see that clearly. Yesterday, I saw brokenness as I was driving down the road. I witnessed two separate people give the California hello um, to each other while driving down the street. And, and I, I, I was in the car with my kids and I could only think, what is it that has got these people so wound up tight that just because you missed the left-hand turn or somebody is pausing on Three Springs Road to go into flea land, that, I mean, this has ruined your day. You need to take a breath. It's at times like that you need a moment of praise. Whether you're heckled and harried or burnt or broken or, or whatever, you need to take some time to praise because praising God leads to more praise. It's contagious. Uh, we're going to show you a video here in a second uh, of a shopping mall in Philadelphia. Uh, would you believe that the world's largest pipe organ is not in a church? But it is in Macy's. I am not making this up. It is in Macy's in the Center City Mall in Philadelphia. It was originally the Wanamaker uh, department store. They bought the old World's Fair organ, added another 8,000 pipes, if I remember correctly, to it. 
And so it sits there in the midst of this five-story courtyard, indoor five-story courtyard. And here's what happened. A couple Christmases ago, the Philadelphia Opera Company got together with another 600 singers. So there's a total of like 650 singers that, that descend. They're all classically, professionally trained singers. And unbeknownst to any of the shoppers, they are about to witness this incredible act of praise and worship in the middle of the Christmas season. Uh, let's take a look at that. And as we do, I want you to pay attention to the response of the shoppers. And I want you to pay attention to what happens at the end. So let's, uh, let's watch this. Pretty awesome, isn't it? This incredible act of praise. What's it do? It leads to more praise. I don't know if you caught all of those cranky shoppers at the beginning. They're like, oh, get out of my way. I got to gotta buy, must purchase. I'm in a hurry. But then as that continues, what happens? Everybody just kind of stops. And, and let me tell you, I, I'm sure half those people were, were hardened atheists. And I may be exaggerating there. But, but let me tell you. You can't sing Handel's Messiah, which talks about our Lord God uh, reigning forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. You can't sing that and not have that be a moment of praise. Whatever they think, Handel wrote that is worship to God in celebration of this very season. It is an act of praise. And what happens as that continues, people just stop and they're in awe. And then you see people clamoring. They get their cameras and phones out because they want to they get a piece of it. They don't want this to be gone forever. And what happens? They all erupt in applause. And yeah, that's pretty awesome. But they're applauding what the cause of that was, whether they even know it or not. It was written in praise to God. And every time that is sung, it is in praise to God. And every time it is in celebrated, it is in celebration of God. Church, praise leads to more praise. That's why it is such a vital activity for us. As you look at Luke chapter 2, we see this praise that's, that's contagious. It's this warm spring night and the shepherds are keeping watch on the fields. And something is about to take place. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, reads this way. It says, in that region, there were shepherds living in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Do you, do you get that picture, perhaps? Shepherds, they're there. They're watching over the flock. What are they doing? They're, they're watching these sheep. But, you know, Bethlehem is so close to Jerusalem that a lot of people think the sheep they're watching is maybe the temple's flock. It's highly likely that they are keeping watch over the sheep that will be the sacrificial lambs inside of the temple, and unbeknownst to them, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world is being born. 
you kind of get the picture this way. It's like the group that gets lost in the forest. Uh, the, the man gets lost in the forest. And as this man is lost in the forest, he tries for a day to find his way back to the highway. Day turns in a week. Week turns in months. Months turns into years. This man is alone in the forest. Finally, an entire group of people come across him. And they say, you know, we've been lost here for a day. Can you tell us how to get back to the highway? And the man says, no, but I can tell you how to not be more lost. And I think that we function in that a lot. We're happy to not be more lost. We're happy to keep watch over the old sheep. We're happy to keep watch over these things. And God says, listen, I'm doing something brand new. And here what happens, this angel comes out and starts praising God. He starts telling these good things about God, how there is good news, there's great joy, born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is the Messiah. It's the same message that causes the Gentiles to praise in Romans 15, uh, 11. And it's this one angel that leads now a multitude of the heavenly host to praise God. I kind of picture it this way. The one angel is out praising God, and then the rest of the angels are kind of like, wait a second, why does he get to do this by himself? And they want to be part of it. And so the heaven splits open, and you get a picture of the divine glory and praise and worship that's taking place. And they all come out, and they all start to praise God. You know, it's something we're going to do in heaven. We get to praise through eternity, telling God how, telling everybody how good God is. And church, let me tell you, if there's ever a time to praise God, it's in the midst of difficult times. It's in the midst of difficult times that we need to hear and be reminded of how good God is in the midst of how bad our world has become. And so once the shepherds hear about this, what do they do? Well, let's, let's pick up in verse 15. When the angels had left them, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, Let's go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord is making known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. Then, verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I'll be honest, it wasn't until this week that I actually got the timeline of this set of verses correct. I I always thought it happened this way. The shepherds are out minding their own business. They, They see the angels, they go to Bethlehem, they see the baby, and then they leave and go praise God. I always thought that's how that worked. But the text does not say that. Yeah, they leave and praise God, but there's something that happens before that. It says that they tell everybody there, where? In the manger, in the nativity scene. They tell all of them what has just happened. Can can you picture this scene? Mary has just had a child. Labor is not easy, so I've been told. Um, It didn't hurt me at all. I've had three kids. Um, Anyways, uh, but I'm, I'm told it's difficult. And so Mary's just had this child, okay? She's had this child in a barn, And now, all of a sudden, it's nighttime. All we really want to do is go to bed. And who should come in the door but a bunch of shepherds who've been watching sheep. And they're ecstatic to be there. They say, hey, listen, this is a child. Hey, listen, you may not know this, Mary and Joseph, but this child is sent by God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. This child right here is God's child. And they tell that to Mary and Joseph. 
Now, if it had been me, I'd have said, hey, listen, thanks. Yeah, we know that. You know, we, we've been here from the beginning. We've got the memo. The angel came to us first. But it doesn't say that. It says, Mary treasures these things. She ponders them in her heart. It says that all the people there marveled at what the shepherds told them. You see what happens? The angel starts to praise, and the choir of angels starts to praise, and then the shepherds get the bug, and then they go, and they start praising in front of all of the people who've already just witnessed all this. But you know what? None of them say, you know, we're tired. Yeah, we know. We've heard it before. Yada, yada. Thanks very much. They don't do that. Why? Because praise is contagious. Praise leads to more praise. And then the shepherds still didn't get it out of their system. Verse 20, by the time Joseph got him out the door, it said the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. For all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You see, church, the shepherds can keep it inside. They had been exposed to praise. Just like the man who's healed. Luke uses the same word for praise in Acts chapter 3, verse 8, where it says that the lame man is healed. And what does it say? It doesn't say he walks with his mat. It says he jumps and leaps and praises God. Because something amazing has happened. And it becomes contagious. This is why here at church, when we have somebody get baptized in the baptistry, we don't tell you to applaud. You do. Why? Because when somebody gives their life as an act of praise and worship to God, it becomes infectious. And we all praise God. That's why when, when, we're, when a worship song touches us and, and you, you feel that praise to God, you start to clap afterwards. It's not because you're telling Joe he did a good job. Because Joe already knows that. It's, it's that you're praising God. You're praising God because praise leads to more praise. And if you think about it, praise is kind of a unique activity that we do here on Sunday morning. Can you think of anywhere else in your life that you sit for 20 minutes, stand for 20 minutes and sing songs praising something? I mean, you're not tomorrow, you're not going to go to work and grab your boss and be like, hey, listen, I got a little, you got 15 minutes because I got some songs I'm going to sing to you. Because you're awesome. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's just not. You don't even go home. You're going to do that for your spouse. You're going to be like, hey, honey, let's just take 10 minutes. I'm going to sing you some songs. It's just not, it's just not going to happen. Okay, because we, we just don't do that sort of thing. And, and part of it's because that praise isn't really fitting. You know what I'm saying? Now, now people that win the lottery, they, they, they praise, right? They're, they're, man, they're excited. Hallelujah. They're excited. They won the lottery. You know, people that, that you know, that, that their team wins. man. They're awesome. They're all pumped up about that. But let me, let me tell you, that praise is empty because soon the, the money is gone and the win is forgotten. But the praise that we sing here in this place, in this moment, it, it reverberates for eternity. It lasts for eternity. And tomorrow when something new and late and great is out, God will still be timeless and He will still be the greatest. That is just the truth. You know, and, and there's a sense in which your praise... I came across a prayer this week. It addressed God as the one who was praised at every moment and at all time in heaven and on earth. And it dawned on me, you know what? That's true. At every moment, there is somebody in this world that is praying and praising God. Every moment of every day, God is praised in heaven and on earth. In heaven, in eternity, in Revelation, we see a picture of this. We see that, that there are people that just surround the throne of God to praise Him. And so when you sing praise to God, it joins up with that. It connects with that. And it resounds for all of time. You, you think if you go into like an Orthodox church, they've got all these pictures on the side. And it's distracting for all of us who've 
you know, you know, we're used to playing simple, ordinary. But the reason they put all those pictures up there is so that we, it reminds them that they're not doing this alone. They're doing this to all the people that have come before. They're going to do this to all the people that come after. They're going to do this to all of heaven. And they're going to do this for all of eternity. And church, we would do well to remember that. Because praise leads to more praise. And this morning we have a chance to join in that. We even have a chance to join in that at the table. Uh, you know, Paul talks about the, the, the Lord's Supper. He says, as often as you eat this and drink this, what are you doing? You're proclaiming the Lord's death. You're saying good things about God until He returns. You're praising God even in this moment. And so, as we get to that point in our service, and we kind of move that way, we want to open up a chance of invitation for those that have perhaps never received Christ, never made a commitment to Him or to His church. And so we'll have Joe and, and uh, whoever else is going to be coming up, is come up, and we're going to sing a song of decision and invitation. And if there is somebody out here that has not joined their life in praise and worship to God, we'll invite you to come forward as we, as we sing this song. And then we're going to spend the rest of the service saying good things about God, praising Him uh, for His incredible gifts. Uh, why don't you stand as we sing?